Good evening, everyone, and welcome to Addiction Treatments That Work. I'm your host, Kenneth Anderson. Tonight, it is July 11th of 2013, and tonight our guest is Sabrina Fendrick of Normal. She's going to be telling us about that organization. Before we start the show, I'm going to do a little blurb for our website and our book. Our website is hamsnetwork.org. We are a free-of-charge lay-led support group for people who want to make any positive change in their drinking habits, from safer drinking to reduced drinking to quitting altogether. Our book is called How to Change Your Drinking, A Harm Reduction Guide to Alcohol. Hall. It's available from Amazon. For more information, go to hamsnetwork.org slash book. Our guest, Sabrina Fendrick, is with us right now. How are you doing this evening, Sabrina? I'm well. Thank you so much for having me. Well, thanks for being on the show. Uh, let's uh, Tell me, what is NORMAL? What does NORMAL stand for? That's an acronym. Uh, NORMAL is the National Organization for the Reform of Marijuana Laws. It was founded in 1970 by Keith Strop, who still works with us to this day. And it is a marijuana consumer and law reform advocacy group that is, works to defend consumer rights, to change the laws so that um, people are no longer getting arrested for, um, you know, doing something that's safer than drinking, for example, mm-hmm. and to support the current victims, people who have been arrested and who are uh, subject to the criminal justice system. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you work with any of the other organiz- organizations out there, like Drug Policy Alliance or Students for Sensible Drug Policy, any of those? Oh, yes, definitely. We we work together all the time. Um, should I expand? Yeah, you can expand on that, please. Oh, okay. Um, well, for example, um, there's a working coalition among all of the groups, um, those that you just mentioned, on the Hill to kind of have um, – uh, a continual education given to the legislators and representatives uh, to try to push reform on the Hill among Congress. I'll, you know, that's obviously a um, going to be a difficult step, but that is one example of where we're working together. Um, the uh, program that we run, which is called Sister to Sister, is a joint mentorship program with students for sensible drug policy where we um, meet up with them and try to connect their younger female activists that are in college or getting out of college with the older, more seasoned activists that tend to make up the the normal contingency. And uh, just so they can mentor each other, the seasoned ones on, you know, their experiences in the field and hopefully the younger ones on technology and social media with the hope behind that. Okay. Well, recently we saw uh, legalization take place in Washington State and Colorado, I believe. Uh, what do you think is going to happen next now? Oh, well, there's, um, it was very exciting to see that, first of all. And as of right now, both states are moving forward with implementing regulations and, you know, have consistently been waiting for the federal government to respond, although Eric Holder hasn't given any kind of official answer one way or the other. Um, So they're just moving along with what the voters voted for. Um, And it's going to be interesting to see. I think it's going to turn out to be really good for the state economically and in terms of um, public safety, in terms of cost savings, um, job creation. It's, I think people are going to see that, you know, our 70 years of prohibition was one of the worst mistakes 
um, in our country's history. Top three. Well, prohibition is just not a good idea. I mean, we've seen it over and over and over again. It didn't mm-hmm. work with alcohol. Um, it's been mm-hmm. a horrible failure with the war on drugs that has not given any reduction in drug use and no positive results, just negatives. And, of mm-hmm. course, we see the examples of Portugal and decriminalization, and uh, that's really made things a lot better. So it's clearly – it's not just that, but – you know, the federal government doesn't have the authority to prohibit uh, something like marijuana without a constitutional amendment. You know, mm-hmm. I, I don't know if you've ever gotten into this. I get into this a lot because, you know, alcohol prohibition, we did it legally. We had the amendment mm-hmm. to do the prohibition. We repealed the amendment. But with marijuana, they said, well, we don't need that because we don't like it. So we're going to push it through. But the 10th Amendment does not grant the, that power to the federal government. Well, I, I think it's debatable depending on who you ask, and this is uh, it's a fascinating look into our democracy and where powers lie and for what purpose. Because, yeah, marijuana prohibition, unlike alcohol prohibition, they it was the actual period in time when it began was done in a very sneaky, very unofficial way. Where and essentially what built up into was that they just added it to the Controlled Substances Act. Mm-hmm. Which forbids them from doing any any research, any um, you know, any kind of reform, experimentation, anything. They just say, you know, Schedule One heroin, a um, couple other drugs, saying there's no medical need or no medical, no proof of medical use, a uh, high level for addiction, and therefore cannot nothing. Nothing can happen on the state level, and no research can be conducted into its benefits because it has none. And that's how they're able to get away with it. And I have heard more and more talk about a constitutional amendment. I, you know, I I haven't discussed it with our legal counsel yet, but I might actually, at the meeting I'm going to, there's a constitutional lawyer, so maybe I'll ask him. But um, that just sounds, you know, right now I think we're just trying to get, a significant number of uh, congressional representatives to at least acknowledge that marijuana prohibition has been a failure. So either way, it's going to be a uh, tough sell in the short term. So, But in the way we're going and just kind of like with parts of alcohol prohibition, when they, they didn't repeal it, they didn't repeal the amendment until several states had already ignored that federal amendment and our and uh, basically stopped enforcing prohibition and reinstituted uh, regulatory programs. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So in that case, I mean, if every each state keeps going in that direction, we had you know two in 2012. We'll hopefully, have four to six in 2016, and then so on and so on. It's a toss-up between which could happen first on you know on the state level or on the federal level. But either way, I I don't think it's too far off. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, you know, it's not it's not that we need an amendment to legalize cannabis. It's that the federal laws that make cannabis and opiates and cocaine all they're all unconstitutional. Um, sorry, this is one of my favorite topics. I'm going to go into <laughs> a little bit. But you know, we don't have federal driver's licenses. Mm-hmm. Why, why do we have state driver's licenses? 
because the federal government doesn't have power under the Constitution to regulate driving an automobile. The Tenth Amendment says any power not explicitly given to the federal government by the Constitution Mm -hmm. is reserved for the states or the people. So if you're going to have a marijuana prohibition law, it has to be a state law or it has to be a constitutional amendment, which requires a two-thirds vote, you know. So the whole a lot of people are advocating for removing those substances from the Controlled Substances Act or getting rid of the Controlled Substances Act altogether, which um, seems like doing that would would open the doors for what you're talking about. And there's actually uh, some bills that have been introduced by Jared Polis and uh, Earl Blumenauer out of uh, Portland and Colorado to do exactly that. Well, I would to remove to, it from – I'm sorry? I would love to see a massive class action suit by everyone that's ever been uh, jailed or imprisoned for drug use against the federal government because for unconstitutional uh, actions of the government because it's just not right. Uh, the Harrison Tax Act was supposed to be a tax act, but as soon as they passed it, they started throwing people in prison, uh, mm-hmm. and that's not taxation. It was sneaky, underhanded, as you said, and it was just crazy. Yeah, um, I haven't been following a lot what's going on lately with medical marijuana. Is the are the feds still trying to crack down? They were shutting people down in California. I know. Yeah, they. Um, you know, since the election, they've kind of backed off a little bit, but they're there's you can you can tell that there's still inklings. I mean, they're clearly working with the bank. The banks are refusing to take any of these dispensaries or um, medical centers cash for them to, you know, hold in there so they don't have to have hundreds of thousands or tens of thousands of dollars of, like, actual cash on their person. But because the federal government doesn't recognize them as a business, they are well, okay, at the same time as they're not recognizing them as a legitimate business, they're also suing them for not paying federal taxes. Mm-hmm. So they're trying to go about it in a weird way, which is also kind of what happened with alcohol prohibition. That's how they got... Um, oh, Al Capone, Al Capone. Yeah, on taxes. Yeah, he didn't pay income tax on any... Well, yeah. he obviously had an income the way he was spending money. <laughs> yeah, so that's... You know, I think they're going to try to be less blatant about the way that they go about attacking the medical marijuana programs. And I think they're also holding out to see what's going to happen in their federal states because, you know, they could just wait for these um, businesses, these state-sanctioned businesses, specifically growing operations and distribution operations to, you know, build up their products, you know, start working and then lay the hammer down on all of them for federal um, cultivation and distribution charges, which would be huge. And that's what I've heard some people say they're waiting for. Um, others say they're they just, um, others say they're, yeah, they're working behind the scenes and trying to go through it with the banks and the financial angle. Yeah, you just wonder when the citizens are just going to be so fed up with the craziness that the government's doing. They, you know, I saw something, you know, recently a post on Facebook that if we citizens acted the way the government did, we'd all be put in jail. 
Yeah. You know, the sneaky underhanded stuff is not the way to go. Well, let me ask you a little bit about um, – I understand that you are the founder of the Normal Women's Alliance. Uh, tell me what's that all about. Well, the Normal Women's Alliance um, I created as a program of the Normal Foundation, which was to address and identify specific and unique concerns of women with regards to marijuana and marijuana prohibition, um, support, every poll you look at, um, even though support is generally around 50%, female support is always uh, lagging 5 to 10 percentage points behind overall for the male support. And they're the, basically the largest demographic and most important demographic that needs to be uh, informed and educated on this issue in order for it to finally, you know, reach that tipping point and create a policy change. Um, a lot of women, especially mothers, are very risk-averse. They, they, you know, they believe the government. They believe a lot of the hype. They just... They're, they want to look out for their children. They they want to protect their children. They think that, or they don't, you know, they feed into all these different things. And I'm, I'm kind of generalizing, but if you look at the numbers, it's most of the people, for example, in California, the reason Prop 19 didn't win in 2010, the California's Legalization Initiative, was because of essentially women, specifically mothers. Mm-hmm. who had concerns about their children, concerns about um, driving uh, and um, adolescent youth. So in terms of we, the Wind Alliance was made to address those concerns specifically and have that message given through the vehicle of other women. Mm-hmm. Because women tend to listen to women more. Mothers will listen to mothers. Um, it's just kind of bringing the mission and the argument to them on their turf, on our turf. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, I mean, it's the the feeling, the sentiment is very understandable that you don't want your child exposed to, well, you don't want your child exposed to drugs or alcohol at a young age. Absolutely. But then we get the reality that uh, it's a lot easier for kids to get marijuana than it is to get alcohol because alcohol is yep. regulated. Yep, exactly. Or cigarettes. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. But marijuana, it, you know, the best place to get it, I guess, is to go to the school. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, kids have an easier time getting marijuana than their parents, which is ridiculous. And alcohol and tobacco that are legalized and regulated, including the marketing, is the lowest among teenagers it's ever been since um, the, the SAMHSA study has been conducted, which is like 20 or 30 years, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. like historical lows. Mm-hmm. Well, I wonder if, uh, I know in my generation, it's currently very not cool at all to smoke cigarettes. So I wonder if that's true with the, the young generation too, that they just, that's not a cool thing to do. I, as far as I've been seeing from what the studies have shown, that is exactly correct. I mean, these regulations on advertising to kids, you know, candy cigarettes, showing cigarette smoking in movies, that's not allowed anymore. Or I think it gives it an R rating. Um, you know, there's all kinds of advertising restrictions that have been used and obviously worked in minimizing adolescent uh, use rates, which is exactly the same argument I bring to marijuana. If we 
legalize it, we can restrict the advertising, you know, any of the advertising towards children, but also um, promote responsible use. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Responsible use for adults. I mean, you do still see um, ads for alcohol, but at the bottom, they always say, please drive responsibly. Um, mm-hmm. It's exactly the same thing. Mm-hmm. Well, speaking of alcohol, that gets to one of my concerns now. Um, our organization is uh, is uh, one that supports, for many people, cannabis substitution is a good solution for alcohol problems with people with mm-hmm. uh, severe dependence on alcohol who have lots of withdrawal when they drink or people who get mm-hmm. into fights a lot. Um, <clears throat> we are very supportive of uh, some of some people using cannabis substitution and stopping drinking that way. And uh, I, I assume you're familiar with Amanda Ryman's research? I believe so. Did it come out a couple of years ago? Yeah, she's at Berkeley, and she's uh, studied... Yes, Amanda Ryman, yes, yes. Yes, yes, she studied the cannabis substitution for Mm -hmm. drug and alcohol addictions, and for many many people, it's very successful. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I know people personally that have told me that. Um, And even, I believe, Harborside Health Center in California, they even have a, um, a group for, I guess it's AA patients, that... Um, use marijuana to substitute from alcohol. Oh yeah, that's been uh, that's yeah. Uh, Amanda was talking about that when she was on the show that they had to set up a special group for people that mm-hmm. wanted to do the twelve steps, but wanted mm-hmm. to use medical cannabis because well, AA this AA has been anti-medication on lots yeah. of medications, not just uh, medical marijuana. They used to tell people to go off their blood pressure medications because they were making them high. Um, but well, that's the uh, wow, yeah. <laughs> that was, a and it's really, I mean, that's one of the more emotional parts of this issue for me personally. I, I've had a you know, some personal people in my life that I think would have greatly benefited from being able to use marijuana to, um, as a substitute exit drug, if you will, um, mm-hmm. from a harder you know, some narcotics, pharmaceutical narcotics, other, um, you know, harder drugs. But it's pretty infuriating that that is um, a healthy, safe alternative to reducing dependence on alcohol and heroin. Oh, yeah. I think the study also should, yeah. Oh, all drugs. Um, uh, Every drug was represented because they were just asking uh, people that came to the dispensaries, have you used this as a substitute for alcohol or any other drug, legal or illegal, illicit? And, you know, just they gathered the replies. And people on every substance imaginable said, who were having problems with that substance said, "Uh, yeah, I've used this. I've Mm -hmm. used this to uh, substitute, and it's been very helpful. And uh, at this point, I always have to talk about my own experience because I don't smoke cannabis. I haven't smoked cannabis in decades. It gives me severe depression when I try to smoke it. It's not a, it's not my drug of choice, and it's it's something I actually need to avoid because it has terrible effects on me. So I don't advocate it because I want to smoke cannabis instead of drink alcohol, uh, mm-hmm. but because I have known many people that uh, when they've had access to cannabis, uh, and they've had severe alcohol problems. When they've had access to cannabis, they can smoke that instead, and they don't want to drink at all. Mhm, mhm. 
Well, that makes you an even greater resource and to speak out on this issue. Um, yeah, we need more abstainers, if you will, to come out and support this for that exact reason. You know, it's a, everybody, you don't have to support this issue because you smoke marijuana. You can support this issue because it's the right side to be on because it's, it's the right issue of the day. And um, I appreciate that. Yeah, because it's a good idea. It makes sense. It's taxable. It could help, you know, boost the economy. Any way you look at it, it's it's a win situation. Mm-hmm. And actually, even not just with cannabis alone, um, with all substances that are currently illegal, um, they can either be medicalized, available by prescription, or legalized. We've seen great success with the heroin maintenance programs in Switzerland. You know, people get their heroin by prescription, and... They don't have to break the law to get it anymore. Mm-hmm. There's huge drops in crime. Um, the, the whole harm point, reduction. It's it's all about harm reduction. Absolutely, and yeah. prohibition just doesn't work. Not yeah. for anything. Um, <coughs> some things may need a prescription, but uh, throwing people in prison—that's no—that's no answer. That doesn't help anybody, especially the addicts. Especially. And uh, we've had we have a huge prison population. You know what is it now? Oh yeah. Well, you know that they're one of the strongest lobbyists to keep marijuana illegal. The prison industry. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of people that make a lot of money off of marijuana being illegal, and um, you know they're a hard bunch to go up against when they're you know billion dollar industries. Well, we urine know. testing. Hmm. Yeah, uh, the Drug Enforcement Agency, mm-hmm. the DEA, and the drug dealers. They both have the same interest. You know, they both want to keep it illegal because it keeps mm-hmm. them both employed and gives them both a living. And they give grants. Police officers and uh, law enforcement agencies, actually local law enforcement agencies, get grants from the federal government based on the number of drug arrests they do every year. So they basically get a financial reward. They have a financial incentive to continue arresting people. You don't, they don't have a financial incentive to arrest murderers or rapists but, or burglars, but they do to arrest consumers, marijuana consumers, more so than others because, mar- well, marijuana makes up the largest portion of drug arrests. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think the financial incentive, especially with you know law enforcement, is, is I mean... It's infuriating. <laughs> well, you know, it's it's just interesting to me that the that the dope dealers and the drug enforcement people are on the same side on this issue. Keep it illegal because we got to keep money flowing in. Yeah. And that you know that leads to more. That's an, that's another constitutional problem is illegal search and seizure. You know, mm-hmm. stopping poor. Uh, particularly poor people of color, which is what usually happens uh, in most of the country, stopping poor people of color and saying, turn out your pockets and Uh saying, oh, you you publicly displayed marijuana. Now you get the double violation, not for just possession, Mm -hmm. but for displaying it. Oh, that's particularly bad in New York City. Oh, yeah. And then ship them them off to prison, and what happens when you get uh, shipped off to prison for a drug charge? You can't get student financial aid, so you're stuck for Mm -hmm. for your life. Even if you're just arrested, you don't have to go to prison to to lose so many benefits that, you know, Americans have a right to. 
uh, you just have to have a record. Yeah. And, but uh, a lot of people do go to prison, not for usually first-time possession, but probation violations is what send them to prison. But, I mean, it's still, that shouldn't be a penalty for a probation violation, and that they shouldn't even be on probation for a charge like that, if well, that's what they are. Mm-hmm. Well, it's crazy that you can't go to school because you lose your financial aid for mm-hmm. uh, for marijuana violation, but not for murder. Murder is okay. You know, mm-hmm. or their job. Yeah, or, or their job. kids sometimes. I mean, that's another issue that, um, you know, what we do with our women outreach is um, help mothers. There's mothers that are losing their children. There's patients in California that are, you know, legal, legal patients that medicate with marijuana so they don't have to medicate with harder, you know, narcotics that will turn them into zombies that will then get into some sort of custody dispute and lose custody because they test positive for something that they are legally allowed to do. Um, and that's actually, that even, I, there was a story in the New York Times a few years ago about that in New York. In, in New York State, it's actually decriminalized, but this woman still lost custody of her child. The Child Protective Services took her child away for something that is not even really a crime in the state. It's just insane. And there's a whole other financial incentive in that aspect with uh, Child Protective Services. They get a certain amount of money based on every child that they take into their custody. Mm-hmm. And then with privatization of prisons, we've also got those guys wanting to, mm-hmm. more prisons means more money. More prisoners means more money. Um, that's, mm-hmm. We need to make the financial incentive to have less prisoners. Yeah. We need a yeah. Finan- yeah. We need a financial incentive to help people, you know, get get jobs, get employment, um, help them. You know, if if you have committed uh, some misdemeanor or some small crime, you know, putting you in prison is not the way to reform people. The way you know. You need to help make social changes in that person's life so that they can have a proper life that they don't have to commit a crime in. Exactly, and it shouldn't—I mean, it shouldn't even be a crime. And as you know, I mean, you seem to research the history. The whole reason that it was made illegal was was based on uh, racial fears. Oh, absolutely. Because they couldn't arrest people for their skin color, they would arrest them for um, a habit that is. Um, more prevalent among, you know, that particular group of the population. So that's another way to, you know, criminalizing an activity that that particular population engages in, regardless of the fact that there are no victims when it comes to that particular activity, um, is just another way that they are, you know, hurting society, moving millions of people into the criminal justice system. I mean, we have... 2% 2% of the world's population and we imprison 25% of the world's prisoners. Mm-hmm. We have more people in prison now than apartheid than the peak of apartheid mm-hmm. in South Africa. Yeah. And, you know, the first drug law in the United States was in San Francisco and it made the smoking of opium illegal to target the Chinese. Everybody yeah. in the country was drinking a tincture of opium, laudanum, and that was completely legal, but 
because you know they they wanted to target the Chinese. Smoking it was illegal. Yeah, exactly. So it's exactly you watch everyone. Um, cocaine, the cocaine laws were associated with a huge mm-hmm. PR campaign about it turns black men into rapists. Mm-hmm. And crack. I mean, look at crack and and. Um, the mandatory minimum sentencing between crack and coke, which has, you know, been improved, but crack is more prevalent among uh, African-American populations, and crack and coke are exactly the same thing. But the punishment for crack is 10 times worse than the punishment for coke. Yeah, I think that's, and it used to be 50 times worse, I believe. Yeah, that's after the reform. It's it's merely ten times worse for the yeah. substance. Yeah, <laughs> and unbelievable. Yet, yet there's a lot of white college students that are smoking crack in their dorm rooms, or you know, it, it's quite common there. Um, I've actually seen some estimates that say there are more white people that smoke crack than black people. Um, but the cops aren't going into the college dorms to bust the right. children of rich white men. Mm-hmm. Actually, drugs. studies have shown that white people consume more drugs overall than black people. That's not even though mm-hmm. minorities are arrested at you know two to three to five to ten times more than white people are. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, it's definitely racist in uh, at the core. Um, all right. of those policies just come from racial fears. Yeah, it has huge uh, factors of racism and classism, and of course the two are interconnected because on the average, you know, the colored races are, people of color are on the average of a lower income than most white people. Mm -hmm. I'm the exception being Mm -hmm. one of these poor country boys, but... but... Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think the poor country boys are a little bit, you know... Um, they're not too welcome in the in the United States anymore, anymore either. Uh, that's where a lot of the meth labs are being run now, is uh, where they used to run yeah. the moonshine stills. And there's not a lot of mercy on those people either. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's definitely becoming a growing problem that you know, it's going to take a lot to fix. I'm not, my focus is mostly on marijuana. Um, you know, we, we overlap our work with other drug groups for sure because marijuana is a large component, but I, I, I don't know how um, the larger drug issue or the hard drug issue um, is going to get improved. Well, to me, it seems, uh, you know, things like heroin maintenance seem to work and make sense when they're when they're done. You know, my day job... I work in needle exchange, so I do work with this aspect because uh, you can't make a living doing harm reduction for alcohol yet. (laughs) It didn't exist until I started doing it. So um, that's brand new. That's brand new. So uh, for my day job that I'm earning a living at, I work at needle exchange, which is actually where I learned everything about harm reduction in the first place, being a volunteer Mm -hmm. there. Oh, yeah. It's not that I ever shot any drugs because it wasn't of interest to me. Well, I was never in uh, circles where it was around, so mm-hmm. there was no availability, no temptation. You know, by the time I was in my 40s and wanted to 
work in needle exchange, uh, you know, I was a little too old to be interested in trying that new habit now. So, but yeah. it's definitely very educational, has been, and continues to be very educational to me. And I took all these ideas about encouraging every positive change and applied them to people that drink alcohol and say, you know, anything you can do to be safer is good. If you want to quit drinking and driving but still get drunk every day, well, that's a big improvement than getting drunk every day and drinking and driving every day. Yep. Yep, definitely. So I think that's excellent. Um, you know, I we should have more people like you out there because it really is. You know, it's just a it's a, a a human health issue, and that you don't have to be a consumer in order to support it and you know be active in efforts to support the people that are involved with it, either as victims or as performers. Well, absolutely. And, you know, if people can just, uh, you know, drop their stereotypes, I mean, where you're taught to stigmatize drug users so much, particularly the mm -hmm. hard drug users, that, you know, they're just heroin users, they're just monsters and demons that we can't even approach, uh, unless they're ex-users who are saying, I've been sober for 12 years now, and then they're, then they're angels. But that, that's just not, that's not the reality. I mean, they're... Yeah. If you work in needle exchange, you suddenly you see, oh, a lot of these people coming in for clean needles. They they look like everybody else. They're they're wearing suits and ties. They look like solid businessmen. They probably are solid businessmen. You know, just because you have a habit of a certain substance doesn't make you an evil person. Exactly. Exactly. So, well, we're we are running far afield, but you know, prohibition is not going to work for anything. There are ways to. <clears throat> regulate and make things available by prescription. If you don't legalize, there are ways to medicalize. So there are more sensible ways to do it than our approach. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, what we're doing is completely insane. And we've been doing it for almost 100 years, and there have been no successful results. And like you said, everything has gotten worse. I mean, it's literally failed in everything it was trying to fix. And they just continue to push the same policy. Um, you know, Obama, they continue giving money to Mexico to fight the drug cartel when, you know, you're putting a Band-Aid on a, on, a, on a wound that can't take a Band-Aid. I mean, it's, it's just the definition of insanity. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, well, we're going to close down pretty soon. I think this... Uh conversation, but I understand that you uh, have been in charge of all the social networking for Normal? Yeah, um, I actually founded the Facebook page and helped set up the Twitter account. Um, I have a couple of people helping me now, but um, I, was, I definitely, yeah, I got all of that stuff set up and, and helped maintain it. So, where can people find you on Facebook and Twitter and on the internet? Uh, well, you can find that our website is www.normalnorml.org. You can find us on Facebook at Facebook backslash normal, N-O-R-M-L. And Twitter is just at normal, N-O-R-M-L. Um, yeah, we post updates every day. We have blogs a couple times a day if you want, you know, to get email updates on actions and news going on in your state. You can sign up for our email list and um, you'll be kept up to date on current events. Yeah. And we should get involved. 
and I hope in the future that maybe we can partner a little bit more on this uh, idea of cannabis substitution for the people that benefit from it, you know, with alcohol problems or other drug problems. Definitely. Uh, so what would you like to leave us with today? Well, I, I hope that everybody out there that was listening um, learned something new or got re-energized to get involved or even had a, a new perspective on this entire issue uh, brought on because it's just something that, you know, if you haven't considered, you just need to sit down and think about, you have to think about everything that it affects, everyone that it affects, and um, not be afraid to speak out about it, even though there's still a lot of stigma around the country. People are afraid to, you know, they think it's too controversial, but it is, this is the right issue. It is the right thing to talk about. Um, and we're on the right side of justice. So it's just crucial to make sure that, um, you know, you learn everything you can, be educated, and speak the truth. Speak truth to power. Okay, thank you. Write your congressman. Write <laughs> your congressman. Thank you very much for being our guest this evening, Sabrina. Thank you. And we'll see you all next week. So, everyone, good night. <laughs>